I'll go get it. Hello, and welcome to our podcast, Digging Deep. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. We're two landscape designers that have been in the field for well over 24 years, maybe 34 years. Right? Just 25 for me. Oh. <laughs> Mine's actually 44, but, you know, who's counting? <laughs> you, you were doing it in the crib, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, through our podcast, Digging Deep, we want to bring to you our knowledge and our challenges and our stories and our foibles. Lots of stories, though. Anything that we can do to help you and your family create the ultimate outdoor environment and whatever you can do to help help to change your environment and make it more sustainable. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking, I was talking to a friend that I feel that when you bring beauty into your life, whether it's in the garden or interior of your home, it really changes things. Beauty, I think, brings a lot of peace. And so what Michael and I do as far as being landscape designers is we create that beauty for you um, in a way that you can follow it if you're doing it yourself or have it installed and, and have a place where you could feel peaceful. This is a you know, a, a planet that we live on and things are not always so peaceful. So having your garden be a peaceful place, I think, is a good thing. Right. And giving yourself a, a respite, almost a zen, a place of zen where you can go and kind of shut out the world. And many times we want to shut out the world, but mm-hmm. be, be able to go and reflect and enjoy and um, also enjoy the fruits of your labor, which is what we're going to talk about. Which is what we're going to talk about. I was telling Michael and... Um, I was telling him that somebody sent me home with a bag of plums and this plum tree that's not very tall, I think it was maybe 10 feet, had probably over 200 plums on it. So we want to talk about designing fruit into the landscape, um, how to do it, where to space it, what to do underneath it and so on and what to do with the fruit when it comes. Exactly. And keep in mind that there are some do's and don'ts and I will start with even myself. Um, Three years ago, when we redid our yard, um, one of the things that my wife and I love are pluots. And so, I mean, and this is this was a shocker to me. Uh, we have a perfect southern exposure to put, and we had a blank spot to put a tree. I went to the nursery and tried to get the biggest pluot I could find. And the biggest thing I could find was a five-gallon. It had a, a trunk size, probably a little bit bigger than a pencil. And I kid you not. But that's all they had. And it was about maybe five feet tall. And I put it in the ground, gave it fertilizer, watered it, and, uh, you know, kind of tended it and thought, okay, well, one of these days, maybe before I'm dead, I'll actually see some fruit and I'll actually see a tree. But, I mean, it's like Jack and the Beanstalk. The first year, nothing. The second year, it's been in for four years now, uh, starting the fourth year. The second year, I got one pluot. But the thing that was really surprising was this tree grew. I mean, it was a little teeny five-gallon with, as I said, the size, the trunk was a size a little bit bigger than a pencil, and it was maybe five, six feet tall. Within that year, it had grown to about 15 feet, and the trunk size, it was like on speed, the trunk size was like three times the size. So the, the, that year, I got one fruit. The second year, which was last year, we got three, and I actually pruned it because it was getting so big. This year, we got over 30 pluots. It's only literally 
three and a half years old, we got over 30 pluots. The tree, I kid you not, even with pruning, is about 30 feet tall. The trunk is about, I would say, six inches, four to six inches thick. And it is gorgeous. And who'd have thought in less than four years that I would have almost a full-size tree that's giving lots of fruit? Right. Well, here's the thing. When you buy a fruit tree or you're looking, there are different sizes available. There are dwarf, semi-dwarf, and the full size. Now, yes. um, I when I first bought my house, there was a plum tree that I kid you not that was 30 feet tall. And so basically what I got was half-eaten fruit on the ground because the squirrels ate everything up top. I did get a few below, but that was before they started, um, started uh, having and hybridizing semi-dwarf and dwarf. So I highly recommend that you read the label because if you have a fruit tree um, where you need a cherry picker to get the fruit, that's not convenient. I agree with you 100%. And in my case, I'm thinking to myself, I didn't do that. And I normally do because, again, in our yard, we have probably an eight or a nine-year-old. It came with the house. I wound up digging it up and moving it to a better location. But we have a Meyer lemon, and it was a dwarf. So this tree is probably 10, 12 years of age, and it maxes out at about five feet. But let me tell you, we had close to 125 Meyer lemons on it. And the question of the day was, what do you do with 125 Meyer lemons, you know, that are all ready to be picked? Well, there's limoncello. Yes. <laughs> there's limoncello. I actually, we actually made popsicles. Yeah. We, yes. In fact, for, for I'm, I'm going to jump ahead and say that I'm a fruitaholic. I love fresh fruit and, and I buy it by the droves. But if I don't get to it in time and it starts to get a little soft and, you know, a lot of people would throw it away, I make popsicles. And the secret, I will tell you, is you don't do any additives. I just take the fruit. You know, I don't even skin it. I take it, get rid of the pits, you know, and this is stone fruit. I throw it into a Vitamix, you know, or it can be a blender. And the only thing that I have found is I use about a quarter of a cup of lemon juice. And the thing is, with the lemon juice, all of the flavors come out. And then, you know, I blend it up and I put it into popsicle molds, molds and put it into the freezer. Without the lemon juice, it's funny because, yes, they... They still taste relatively good, but the flavor of the fruit is really muted. With the lemon juice, it just, it makes everything pop and zing. So when you eat it, you go, oh my God, this is the most delicious. No extra sugar, no extra anything, just literally fruit and some lemon juice and you freeze it and you'll have the best popsicles you've ever had. So also with lemons, um, according to Martha Stewart, and I do this as well, you can throw a whole lemon in your freezer, and when you're ready to defrost it, the lemon juice will be perfect. However, um, if you're intending on using the peel, um, you can't. Obviously, it'll be mushy. So that's another way to preserve your lemons. And lemon, um, yes, Michael, it also will help keep the color of the fruit, you know, because fruit, once it's cooked, turns brown. So. Right. Um, Right. So and the other thing that I will tell you that I found is, is that, um, you know, people say, because again, when you have all of this stuff, you don't want to get rid of it. But you can make um, a lot of times people want just cold water, but they want a little hint of lemon. And if you don't have a lemon handy, but you can take the lemons, whether it be Meyer, whether it be Eureka, whether it be, be any of the, the lemons, you can actually squeeze it into ice cubes. 
add a little water and then and then when you want a little lemon in your water you just drop those ice cubes into it and it's amazing yeah it is well citrus um are non-deciduous which means they're evergreen almost all not all but almost all of the other fruit trees do drop their leaves i think that the um loquats are evergreen um, yeah yes yeah. And so there are a few. So when you're planning on, on putting fruit trees in, first of all, so I have clients that, you know, gave me a list of all the fruit trees that they want. And I thought, oh, my God, do they know, do they know how much fruit they're going to produce? Um, and I told them and I tell all my clients that if you have an overabundance of fruit, there are organizations like the Food Bank and Senior Gleaners who will come and actually clean the fruit off your trees and bring it for the seniors and also bring it for people that are low income. So you can still have what you want, but just know that you're gonna get a lot of fruit if you have a lot of different fruit trees. The other thing is that there are some fruit trees, cherries, that need pollinators. They yeah. need they need a partner. So that's something else that you need to talk to your, you know, if you're at the nursery buying the tree or you go on Google, you have to know about that. Right. And the interesting thing is, again, in my in my wildly, you know, I thought I knew everything in that respect. When I bought my pluot tree, uh, I forgot to read the label and it needed a companion. It did need a cross pollinator. I didn't plant one, but I prayed and hoped that in the neighborhood, there must be something that would cross pollinate with it. Sure enough, I was lucky there was. And that's why I said the very first year that I got three pieces of fruit, at least told me that there's something, there's enough fruit trees in the area that it'll cross pollinate. So, but, but Roberta's absolutely right. You know, you plant a fruit tree like a cherry, you don't have something in the area to cross pollinate with and all of a sudden you've got this big cherry tree that doesn't produce any cherries and it's not like there's something wrong with it it's that you didn't get a companion that's going to cross pollinate it so you'll never get any fruit on it right and and what what with the companion what makes what ties the deal are bees so the bees go for the pollen and then they go from tree to tree and then they've got pollen on their legs and their tails and they help to pollinate so bees are very important and so around fruit trees any kind of fruit trees it's nice to have pollinators you know like um, lavender and, and different flowers because that attracts them as well and what we were talking about before is what do you do underneath a tree so you don't want to plant underneath a fruit tree right right well yeah. especially if you're planning on picking the fruit number yeah. one plant a lot of stuff underneath it, you cannot get to it. And number two is if the fruit falls on the ground, all it does is make a bloody mess because it begins to di disintegrate and rot and smell. So yeah, I usually, I usually like to designate an area specifically for fruit trees and put decomposed granite, which is a granite that's uh, underneath it. So when the fruit falls down, it's easily picked off the ground. Right. That's, that's what I recommend. I recommend having decomposed granite, um, below it and decomposed granite is something that you can buy in the bags or have it come in by the yard it is something that you need to um, dig dig down excavate a little bit and then it's got to be rolled in flat and then watered and then it kind of compacts but it's a great it's a great way to do the cleanup underneath you know I also use that for underneath magnolias you know the the grandifloras they're such a mess you know how they drop leaves all the Absolutely. time oh that's a great idea yeah so I, I usually do DG under there um, Another thing that you should be aware of is the local critters. 
critters. Yes. It might be a race. You know, last year I had, I have a pear tree. God knows it must be like 50 years old because it's been here. And um, there was some wonderful succulent pears right at the end. I was waiting for them, just waiting. Because all around there's bites out of fruit and they're all over the ground. Those are the higher up ones. And I went out one day and they were gone. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. So no, Chris, it's true. It's true. We have we have a again when we moved in the house. One thing that was there. There's probably a thirty foot tall um, mission fig. Beautiful tasting, wonderful fig. And uh, again, this year we're waiting for the figs to come uh, to ripen. But I will tell you what um, Roberta said is true. Fifty percent of the figs wind up going to the squirrels and uh, the muskrats and whatever whatever else is in. We we have. Um, lots of, of animal life in our yard. Um, and then I would say 30% goes to my wife and I, and then 20% winds up going to the dog because one of our dogs, um, his name is Brody, he has a fig fetish. He <laughs> loves, loves, he will, he will take them off the tree. He will wait till they fall in the ground. Normally when a fig falls to the ground, if you get it immediately, they're great because they're nice and soft and they're ready, but we can't even get to it. Even though we have cordoned off that section and we've put gates up there, he will climb over the gates or under and he'll sit. And the reason you know that he's eaten so many besides when he goes to the bathroom, but he winds up getting in the summertime from eating too many figs fat. He gets his big stomach on him. The rest of the year, he loses it. But fig season, he just gets his big pot belly because he loves, I mean, he sits and he eats fig after fig after fig. The other dog wouldn't even touch it if you gave it to him. But it's like, bro- it's, it's like his beer belly. <laughs> it is. It's just, it's hysterical because I've never, and he's almost like rabid. We, as I said, we put up a fence and literally so that you couldn't get into that area unless you opened it. And he figured out a way to get over the fence so he could eat the figs. Yeah, it's great. We, I ha, we once um, had a cat that loved raisins. So there's that. But then let's talk about um, grapevines. So a lot of people think it's very lovely to have grapevines over a pergola and whatnot. But, you know, something that really attracts, um, the, the grapes really attract are rats. Yeah. Oh, yes. Dirty rat. Yeah. And yeah. so that's a mess. And you're going to, you know, who wants rats, you know, on your roof uh, or your pergola? And that's very close to your roof. Usually you could have one out in the yard. But anyway, um, so when you're growing fruit, there are some methods to keep pests away, not just the ones, the four legged, but the flying ones as well. You'll you might see in the fields on these reflecting tapes and they um, they're there to confuse insects. So um, so you want to look at some sustainable ways, especially if you're growing your own fruit. You know, it'd be nice to have it organic to keep pests away, whether they're your dog, a squirrel, or rats, or insects. Because and even some birds, a lot of the birds, you know, like, like your plum that you were talking about, um, when they're ripe, the top ones, the birds literally decimate them. Well, I, I think we've talked about the movie, The Biggest Little Farm. Um, yes. Yeah, and they, I mean, they grew all these amazing and very unique varieties of fruit. And when the fruit started coming, the birds, the I think they were um, the black sky. Are they skylarks? Um, the starlings. Starlings, yeah. Starlings. They yeah. were devastating the fruit. I mean, they couldn't hardly go to market with them. And so eventually, the way that that problem got taken care of is they put up owl boxes. Remember, and the owls then yes. went to yes. the starlings, and pretty soon the fruit, the fruit was not touched. But 
then remember they had a snail problem the snails were going up the trees and eating the fruit so what they do they let the ducks loose and the ducks ate the snail so there are ways of um and it's usually not that complicated of having fruit without um spraying chemicals on them to keep because those chemicals you'll eat with the fruit you know so do you, you want to exactly and the one thing that we didn't talk about to begin with is Fruit trees need full sun. You can't put it on a northern side of the house. You can't put it where it's just going to get a little morning sun. That would be, you know, like a, um, a place where on the eastern side where they're only going to get some morning sun because fruit trees need full sun. They need, Not only do they need the sun to develop, but they also need the sun so that the flowers will develop and then the bees will find them. So when you're planning your garden, make sure to find a place that's going to get at least four or five hours of full sun for your fruit trees. And if you're planning on putting the fruit trees, which is a great idea, by your vegetable garden, make sure that you put it in an area where the trees are not going to shade the vegetables. And so that that maybe the trees are behind the vegetables and that if you plant it in the right way, that the, the shade that you're getting from the fruit trays is going away from the vegetable garden, not onto the vegetable garden. And otherwise you're going to be you're going to be sorely sad. Right. Because once you plant a tree, you know, um, unless the it's a real dwarf, you should know that the canopy of a fruit tree can be anywhere from 10 to 18 feet wide, depending on that tree, sometimes even wider with the old cherry trees. So you want to make sure you have room if you're planting several different um, fruit trees. You know, don't bunch them together because if they're not getting that sunlight, then that side of the tree is just going to not do anything. Exactly. It, and yeah. so actually at the nursery when you buy them, depends on what kind, like stone fruit, there will be standards or normal ones. And as Roberta said, they can get up to 20 feet. Then there's semi-dwarf, 10 to 12 feet. But then there are some that are developed that are genetic dwarfs. And they will, like a pe there are peaches and nectarines that are genetic dwarfs. And I kid you not, they'll still give you about 30 to 50 pieces of fruit on it. But the maximum height on them is four to five feet. So, and they, but those are genetic dwarfs. On citrus, you can find, again, the same thing. You can get a standard 25 feet, a semi-dwarf 10 to 12 feet, and then a, a true, it's not a genetic dwarf, it's just a true dwarf, and those can be four to five feet. You know, you can also, if you don't have a lot of room in your yard, you can get what's called an espalier. And that is a fruit tree that they have trained um, in the nursery flat. So they come on a trellis and they could go along the fence line as long as you have sun, and they're great producers. Very often you can get what's called a four-in-one or a six-in-one, which means they've grafted four different types of, let's say, apples or four different types of pears um, on these espaliers. So they are available as well. They've been around for hundreds of years, literally, because um, they were grown in France and England. Um, they were and that's a great idea. Yeah, they were like walls, just wonderful. Yeah. It's great because you can put them on a trellis. You can get like on a citrus. You can get privacy from them. But at the same time, you're gonna you just walk up, and they're not when the when the branches start sticking out, you cut them off. But it stays flat, and it's growing on the trellis. And then you pick the fruit. Um, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned the ones that have been grafted because there are some where you go to the nursery and you go, what are they talking about? They call it a fruit cocktail tree. They'll actually graft different 
fruits onto one rootstock. So you might have a pear, you might have an apple, you might have a peach, and you might have an apricot, or maybe you'll have a peach, an apricot, and a plum all on one rootstock, and they and they all develop, and they're called a fruit cocktail tree. And those are good for people that have a small amount of space. They don't have a lot for a lot of trees, but they, they love, say, three different kinds of, of fruit. They can plant the fruit cocktail tree, and you're getting triple duty out of one tree. Right. And you might not find um, all of these locally, but there are so many online um, companies. Uh, one of the ones that have been around since the, well, gosh, maybe the late 1700s is Starks. Uh, Starks Nursery, they grow all kinds of fruit, dwarf, espies, I mean, all kinds, peach trees that only get four feet tall and all the peaches around the crown. Um, and Starks was in competition back with Johnny Appleseed way back then, and they're still in business. That's very cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Johnny Appleseed, um, see, way, way back then, uh, I think during the reign, not I say not the reign, the um, the presidency of Abraham Lincoln, he was um, trying to get people to go west because it was just pretty much, um, I don't want to say empty land because there were very much Indian and human beings living here. However, he wanted uh, the settlers to, to come this way. So they would give them if they came out, I think it was 100 acres. But to keep that 100 acres, you had to plant a fruit tree. And so Johnny Appleseed, and not just in California, but across the states, he would row with his bags of seeds and plants. But he had quite a nursery and he would sell people the trees and that way they could keep their land. I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. And, and another interesting thing about apples, well, I might have already talked about this, but um, people grew apples and they didn't just they didn't eat the apples because remember, there was no refrigeration back then. They made applesauce, they made apple pie and they made apple jack, which was an alcoholic drink. Right. So. Apple cider that has a zing to it. Uh -huh, right. But, you know, once they juice the apples and there's no refrigeration, it's going to ferment. So um, it wasn't until uh, the 1920s prohibition came in where they coined the, the phrase, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. But that was to try to get people to eat the apples and not ferment them. <laughs> drink Which them. makes sense. And I have to say, again, personal experience, I make a very dynamic. I've now been doing it with peaches, but a bit, an applesauce and a peach sauce. And again, that thing that's neat about that is you just use all fruit. You add a little, and I'm talking about very little, like a quarter of a cup of water um, in with it. To, and then you keep it on a low heat and you can make your own applesauce. Now, if you want them with a little bit of a zing, you can use um, a little, little bit of brandy or a little bit of scotch in your applesauce. And let me tell you, it makes it amazing. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, these cordials, which are fruit-infused um, liquor, that's, I mean, we used to, when I lived up in Northern California, there were blackberry bushes everywhere. So we used to harvest the blackberries, and I would buy brandy and, you know, put them in the bottle. It's better if there's a little sugar with that. Um, right, right. Because then you have that sweet blackberry brandy. But um, with all the fruit you're planting, again, you know, we've talked about now the spacing. We talked about, you know, their exposure. And um, But don't forget that in your landscape, other attractors of bees and healthy insects you know like the like i said there's lavender and a lot of flowers there's the you know the the if you want butterflies to come bees will come too and they'll help pollinate so you could really have your own backyard orchard and if you have a drip system 
because let's say you have a drought tolerant backyard, no problem. You're just going to put extra drip on the base of these trees because fruit trees need more water than your shrubs. Right. Which is really important. But uh, we live in the area that we could grow almost anything. Olives, again, you know, there was a time with this valley where almonds, walnuts, and olives, and then they raised it, took it all down, and built houses. And guess what? Now the olive trade, olive oil trade is very big again. So they've replanted olives. Right. Yeah. So it's funny because a lot of us, you know, in the ornamental side of it, will ask for a fruitless olive. And but a lot of people love the the fruiting olive, not only for olives and and eating, but also for the olive oil. In fact, when I had led led this was years ago, I led a, a garden tour to the south of France and we went and visited one of the largest, it was in the south of France, uh, one of the largest olive oil productions on a private scale. And when we were going through, the woman started laughing, we were talking and started laughing. I told her a little about where we were from and you know some of the things we plant. And she goes, oh my God, she goes, in, in France, if a tree does not provide and does not produce lots of olives, we rip it out and, and uh, put in another one. You in America grow your olive trees so that they don't produce olives. I know, it's so crazy. Well, my neighbors, I helped them locate and we had to go to the Bay Area, Bay Area to get them um, very special olive trees. One is a Kalamata olive, which are just- Ooh, I love those. Yeah, Kalamata olives. And then um, another one was a certain type that's mainly used for making olive oil. So. There's probably 20 different types of olive trees that you can get. And like I said, we're in an area where you can grow hops to make beer, grapes for wine. We can grow avocados now because our um, our winters are not that cold anymore. It's really a wonderful thing to have, but it's about planning beforehand, right? Exactly. Planning, planting, taking care of. And keep in mind, again, we and we, I know we've talked about it time and time again, there is no such thing as a no maintenance yard. Uh, that's a condominium with a view and no and no plants. But you know, if you're planning a garden, which is wonderful, you have to equate. You also ask, have to factor in taking care of the yard because it's not going to take care of itself. And if you're going to grow fruit, fruit, um, and which is great, you're going to have to plan on a picking the fruit or when it drops, cleaning it up. Otherwise, you're going to create a, a horrible mess on your hands, not only from the animals, but from all of the rot and the bugs and the and the ants. I mean, again, you have to you have to plan on what you're going to do with all the fruit you're going to get or how to take care of it. So, like, for example, if you if you have peaches, um, and you start leave. Uh, you have start getting peach leaf curl, which is when the leaves start curling up. You're going to have to spray that, you know. But you have to factor that in and know that you can't just say, "Okay, I'm not going to do that," because eventually the peach curl gets so bad that you're not going to be able to get any peaches. No, it'll kill the tree. But there are books um, on home orchards. There are so many books. There's so much available uh, online. So, like any tree that you plant, whether it's fruiting or not. That tree's going to be here probably long after we are. So yes. it's a it's a really important decision about what you're going to put in, where you're going to do it, and how you're going to tend to it. So, I agree. Well, I wanted to do this on fruit because I've got this bag of plums, which I'm going to make a chutney. I've made a chutney out of uh, plums before using a malt vinegar and some sugar. Oh, my God. It was so good. Sounds so, great. 
Yeah, the farmers markets locally are are getting full of fruit, the nectarines, the peaches, the cherries are almost done. But I so urge you not just to go there and buy it, but also to to plant it. I agree. There is nothing more satisfying than walking out to your garden and picking a piece of fruit that you have grown yourself or or having company over and offering them and say, isn't and they go, oh, this is so delicious. It's so sweet. And you go. And I grew it myself. And the satisfaction is unbelievable. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, thank you for joining us. I'm Roberta Walker. And I'm Michael Glassman. And we are Digging Deep. Deep.